0: Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of
1: Yolitics. What was that uh, better energy for you, Jason? It was a lot more energy, man. Uh, okay. A few weeks ago, you were just like dead in the water, man. I was worried about you. Was the medicine okay? A lot of Is criticism.
0: Still working? A lot of criticism there, and so I've 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 revived myself for the podcast. That's what I do best. Sort sort of rejuvenated. Um, actually, I'm uh, kind of moving a little bit fast here because we have a guy mm. on the line with us here. Uh, who is extraordinary and he is also a, a, a very busy guy you don't want to just keep this guy sitting there right uh, his name is uh oh Jason it's dr Jason McClellan he is a faculty member in the department of molecular Biosciences at uh, UT Austin you never made it to departments like that in in school did you Jason
1: I was lucky to make it to college this is clearly the smartest guy we've had on here I mean he this guy outsmarts both of us combined Yeah, he, on his worst day. I wasn't
0: done with his title yet either. Oh, uh, he please. also holds the Robert A. Welch chair in chemistry. Uh, so he is uh, he's an extraordinary guy. He has been um, recognized the world around now for what he and his team there at UT Austin have done. So with no further ado, let's get him on here. All right. uh, So we've got three Jasons. This is always, (laughs) always tricky and scary when we've got three of us. uh, Triple threat today. And uh, are you having a beer with us today?
2: Oh, I will be having some bourbon with you today, if that's okay.
0: Some bourbon. Wow. Stepping up our game. Which bourbon are you? uh, What what do you got there?
2: It's a uh, new one I just bought from a local place. It's a private selection. It's from Barrel. And it's a blend of bourbons from, I think, nine year up to 15 year, uh, all blended.
0: Nice. Yeah. Wow. So nice. 58 uh, percent uh, alcohol, I
2: think.
1: Wow. This would be a I good conversation like just, here. huh?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like what? we're just playing in the sandbox yeah. over here, man. I'm embarrassed to say what I'm having here. What are you what are you drinking, Wheeler? <laughs> oh, yeah. Start me off then. Um, I'm having a and, and this is going to sound stupid, but it's really good. It's a St. Arnold. Uh, it's called The Hideaway. It's margarita inspired. So it's a beer that tastes like a margarita with the salt and all.
2: Okay, it's like good a Corona plus lime in
0: a yeah. Oven. Except you don't have to do the work,
1: you know. <laughs> you get to just
0: <laughs> pop it open and you're there, you know. All right, so uh, that's good. The, uh, oh wow, you've Woo! got the, you've got it in a nice oh, yeah. decanter there I as well. We see.
2: Yes, that is uh, from Simon Pierce up in Vermont, where I used used to be a faculty member at Dartmouth. So it's all hand-blown glassware. uh, Oh, my gosh. we got to start
1: hanging around you
0: more often. we
1: we we got our (laughs) smartest guest ever on here who's out drinking us. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm really intimidated on this podcast. Whiteley, what did you bring to this party? I just opened it and blew up in this room in here. So uh, my my suit's going to smell like IPA. Having a stash IPA from um independence brewing company this is in austin interesting okay yeah. well,
0: and so is our guest today yeah, absolutely um, and and we have to dive right in on this uh dr mcclellan do you mind if we call you jason oh yeah Jason's fine. although it's gonna get super confusing but you know whatever everybody's gonna answer when one of us starts to talk no, no,
1: jason he's gonna have us call him dr wheeler from now on jason mcclellan he'll have <laughs> yeah. yeah just please, call me dr please wheeler refer to podcast. me as dr wheeler um, so, uh, you know,
0: I, I, see you with the UT background there behind you and you all have done some amazing work in your lab, uh, for people who don't know, uh, coming into the pandemic, uh, j- just some phenomenal work and very quickly too, we're going to get into all of that. I just want to ask you first, uh, I think we're at a point now in this pandemic where a lot of people kind of think, well... Oh, good. We've got the vaccines. Maybe I've got a couple of them in my arm. They've probably got warehouses full of them because the uptake, you know, has gone down and down and down and we're done. We're good. This is great. I might have to get a booster down the road. But other than that, this is done and over with. Uh, your work is probably continuing there at a feverish pace.
2: Yeah, it's you know, we're never done. We we are Winding down some of our coronavirus research though, um, we think a lot of it can be handled by the large pharmaceutical companies. And we, we sort of uh, made our contribution to these vaccines. And so there will be things like boosters, like reformulating the vaccine, perhaps to match different variants. But we're not needed to, to do that. That's all pretty straightforward.
0: And Some of that will be in patch form, won't it? Patch and, and is, like I mean, these egg based?
2: Yeah, there are a lot of different vaccines still being developed and some that we're involved with. One is uh, a vaccine that can be grown in eggs which is how um, a lot of the world creates their yearly influenza virus vaccine so this allows them to convert that factory that sits idle a lot of the time uh, mm-hmm. into making their own COVID 19 vaccines which is very cheap and then yeah, another one out of um, australia a company called Baxis, has this little patch um, mm-hmm. and they can apply the protein the spike protein that we engineered to the patch stays stable at room temperature for months and then there's like a little tuna can with a spring that kind of just shoots it uh, against your arm, and wow. you don't need needles, syringes, and the idea is you know you'd be able to ship sleeves of these to low and middle income countries, and also maybe there's a lot of people in the U.S. that would prefer a non needle based vaccine delivery, uh, particularly kids.
1: Hey, Jason, take us back a little bit um, when two years ago, I guess, right now, um, COVID was really kind of exploding in the U.S. Super uncertain. We were all scared to death. What what were you doing in your lab? How did things unfold there? Because everyone else stayed home, you probably went to work.
0: Oh yeah, take yeah, us back we, even. Wait, take us back even before yeah. that when you're on the ski slopes. I love. Oh this yeah, story. let's hear this one then.
2: Yeah yes yeah. So uh, I was in Park City, Utah, with my family, and I'm doing some snowboarding. I was, bought some new uh, snowboard boots, and I was in the shop. And my collaborator, Dr. Barney Graham, uh, then deputy director of the Vaccine Research Center at the National Institutes of Health, called. And I thought he was calling just to say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year is <laughs> January 6, I think 2020. Um, I think he did, but he's also letting me know that this uh, a pathogen that was causing pneumonia clusters in Wuhan was a coronavirus, uh, likely a beta coronavirus, similar to the SARS coronavirus back from 2002. And he was trying to work and obtain the sequence from somewhere in China so they could start making a vaccine. He wanted to, know if we were interested in continuing our our long collaboration uh, with them on coronaviruses and try to create the fastest vaccine that had ever been made. Um, At the time, maybe it was just going to be proof of principle, because we didn't know in early January that it was going to be a global pandemic. Um, I said, sure, let's, let's do it.
0: But so but you're, you're thinking you kept, this is kind of more minor, uh, or or possibly more. Yeah, minor. yeah you, you kept skiing, right? You you
1: you went oh, down yeah, the slopes, yeah, yeah.
2: right? Nothing, yeah. yeah, there's nothing to do first until uh, we had the genome sequence of a novel coronavirus, and that okay. didn't come out for four more days uh, on the evening of Friday, January 10th. So there wasn't anything. You know, I, I WhatsApped my students. I said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna race. Let's let's get ready." Uh, but nothing else to do. And yeah, snowed for a few more days, and then came back. But again, uh, early January 2020, this was still as far as we knew, only in, in Wuhan. Um, and much like SARS from 2002, it caused a local epidemic, didn't really spread. So we, we didn't know that this was going to be a, a maybe once in a century global pandemic at that time. It was really not until maybe mid-February when you started seeing outbreaks in Spain and Italy.
0: Mm. Can you characterize some of those early days uh, when you all were were really pushing uh, to, to move this forward? Uh, and for people out there, by the way, who, you know, worry that, gosh, these vaccines were made so fast, I don't know, um, the, you've been doing work on this kind of stuff since 2008, haven't you?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, the the vaccines, although developed very quickly, it's maybe 10, 10 months or so um, from genome sequence being released until approval it's really a very long process, right? So if we think about the mRNA vaccines, it's a combination of three different technologies, each of which dates back years or decades. So mRNA itself was discovered in 1961, and immediately groups were trying to use mRNA to get cells in animals to produce proteins. And um, human trials with mRNA started in the mid 2000s. So, humans have been injected with mRNA uh, at the time, primarily for cancer, but then later for flu and HIV for you know, almost two decades. We had a, a, a large body of evidence for how mRNA behaves in a person and what the side effects are. Uh, there's also the lipo, uh, lipid nanoparticle component, which is needed to ferry the mRNA into our cells because naked mRNA just gets degraded rapidly. And so that dates back decades. Uh, coronaviruses themselves were discovered in 1931, first human coronaviruses discovered in the mid-1960s, and uh, just a large body of work. And Barney Graham uh, and I, our labs, have been working on coronaviruses since 2013, Uh, right after the middle east respiratory syndrome coronavirus had emerged Uh, and so we were working on obtaining structures of the spike protein which is this large protein on the surface of the virus and figuring out ways to then engineer and modify it so uh, that way it's it doesn't change conformations and we can keep it in the form that's uh, the best possible use in a vaccine. And we did all that back in 2016, 2017. Uh, We showed that just two changes can stabilize coronavirus spikes in the optimal confirmation for vaccine development.
1: So, so what happened in March of, of 2020 then? You were skiing in January and, and things kind of ramp up a little bit. But by the time March comes around, a spring break happens, this is really getting hot and heavy in the United States. And, and, and people are, you know, government leaders are, are doing these shutdowns. What were you doing at the time? Go yeah. ahead and take the swig of that bourbon there, Jason. Yeah, give you. us this answer. Smooth. You
2: know, somebody by See, by mid February, we had already produced in the lab our own uh, spike protein, stabilized in the proper conformation. We had determined its structure using a method called cryo-electron microscopy, published the paper, um, and then the the DNA, the plasmid that we use in the lab to express the protein, we had shipped to over a hundred different labs around the world, so that way they could make their own stabilized spike protein. To use for diagnostics so they could draw people's blood uh, and see whether they were infected uh, to use as baits to isolate antibodies from infected people for their own vaccine development and uh, by by february also then moderna had shipped their first batch of what would be mrna 1273 to my colleague barney graham and his lab at the vaccine research center for testing um, so that was already going really quickly and by march we were already pivoting to start making a second generation version of the spike protein that
1: expresses. but by March of 2020? Yeah. So, so the world is freaking out, and here you guys are just relaxing, having your bourbon, maybe. But, no. but you already have Moderna turning something around for testing.
2: But yeah, yeah, the first, yeah, the, the mRNA was delivered in mid February wow. uh, for, for for injection into animals. Uh, and you know, then there's all the regulatory and scaling up. Uh, which took until I think April from when the first human was injected. But yeah, we were we we had pivoted by that point. We we're working on second generation spike proteins.
0: I never knew and, that and when you say and when you say you're working on yeah. the spike proteins, just so people understand, is that essentially can you describe that a little bit? So you're basically uh, kind of mimicking aren't you the spike protein on the actual yeah. virus so that our bodies will actually be able to recognize it yes
2: yeah, so we have a, a spike protein here oh wow
0: uh, it's that, great to have zoom to see right this. yeah
2: so this is a three-dimensional print of the the spike protein so this is what we determined uh via electron microscopy and so we can make the spike protein in the lab without any virus so my lab doesn't work with infectious virus we were never at risk Uh, but we can use cells in the lab to produce large quantities of spike protein. And then we can determine their structures. Uh, We can see where antibodies bind from people who are infected. So we also helped uh, Lily create uh, an antibody called 555, which is later called bamlanivimab. That was one of the two antibody therapy treatments. So Lily had Mm. one and Regeneron had one. Most people might remember Trump getting like eight grams of the Regeneron yeah. antibody. Well, Lily had, so we we helped Lily, Regeneron had one. Um, and then we started making variants of the spike protein, changing uh, different residues, making those variants. We created over a hundred different variants of the spike protein, tested them all, made combinations uh, and developed an even more stable, higher expressing version of the spike protein, which is now being used uh, in these vaccine candidates grown in eggs uh, on the patch. Uh, so it was a really busy first couple of months in 2020.
0: Mm. that is amazing and that basically makes these vaccines able to to really do the job because you're you're making so many different versions of this and you're able to to test that
2: yeah exactly uh you know so my lab focuses on the antigen design right? so when you make a vaccine you have to uh, one big choice is do we use the whole pathogen let's say whole virus weakened or killed in some way or do we use a piece of the virus and if we use a piece what piece And how do we present that piece to the immune system? And that's what my lab does. So we try to uh, figure out the structures of these viral proteins and then how to modify them. Maybe there's a part we don't wanna raise antibodies against because those are kind of useless antibodies. So we'll engineer, we'll just uh, cleave it off. Uh, And maybe we wanna focus the immune response somewhere else. So we do a lot of that type of engineering. So that way the vaccines can be as efficient as possible.
1: So t- tell us about your contribution. Zoom out a tad. So w- with the shots that we all have in our arms now, what were your contributions to these vaccines?
2: Yeah. So the all of these vaccines deliver spike protein to the body uh, kind of two different ways. Some like Novavax, which is not yet approved, but I think close. That is purified spike protein, grown up in huge bioreactors. Uh, put into vials, and then the spike protein itself is injected. The other type of vaccine, either the Johnson & Johnson adenovirus-based vaccine or the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, those are mRNA-based, those just uh, contain genetic information that uh, goes into your cells, like in your muscle, and then your muscle makes the spike protein, okay, or the or other immune cells nearby. Um, and the version of the spike protein that are in these vaccines contains modifications my lab created. We, we actually just changed two amino acids that normally occur in the spike protein in the virus to a different amino acid called proline. Uh, and that can help boost protein expression, helps keep the spike protein in its initial conformation, and boost the efficacy of the vaccines. The spike oh, proteins so- are like shape shifters. They're like uh, the transformers going from like a robot to a car. They exist in one conformation initially, which is on the surface of the virus. It's a very unstable conformation. And upon binding to our cells, it just it jackknifes, uh, springs, undergoes this conformational change, infuses the, the virus membrane with the cell membrane. And we try to prevent that from happening. Our mutations uh, prevent that from happening and keep it in the initial conformation, which is the form we want our immune system to recognize and raise antibodies mm-hmm. against
0: and so for that uh you all there at at ut with the work you all did you got uh from the u.s patent and trademark office um in march of 2021 patent number 10 million nine hundred sixty thousand and seventy uh and you know you read that and it just sounds so like you know official and whatever but then you see down the the commonwealth fund put some numbers together on this of what these vaccines have done uh since they have been you know put out there and again your work is in so many of these vaccines. Um, they think that vaccines to date have saved the lives of as many as almost 2.5 million people worldwide, that it has saved more than 18 million hospitalizations, more than almost 74 million infections, and it has saved almost a trillion dollars in healthcare costs. These different vaccines, which again, so many of them relied on the work that your lab did. And I'm just wondering, you do this all the time. How heady is that? (laughs)
2: Uh, It's exciting. Um, You know, I I wanted to go into science and specifically this field to try to contribute to um, vaccine development, to hopefully make or contribute to a vaccine that would one day be used. And uh, yeah, to have our technology incorporated into uh, all these different vaccines. It's it's more than five vaccines now. It's the ones from Medimmune, BioNTech, and Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, Novavax, Medigen, and Taiwan, and then several that are coming up. It's uh, you know it's it's a career high. It's really exciting, and yeah, just very pleased. You know, we'll we'll never know the extent to which the stabilization uh, contributed. You know, it's a combination of many different types of technologies, but. Ah uh, just really exciting to see so many companies use it They have the vaccines be so efficacious
1: yeah Jason, you're you're a younger guy though I, I, I'm gonna press you a tad more on that. Did yeah. you most scientists and most people in any career they, they will work for years and years and decades and, and may not have the type of success that that you and your lab have had do, do you, i mean do, are, are you are, you know do you have a fan club around you do your do, Does your family and friends like, hey, I know this guy? What, what are they like, man? Uh, yeah, I guess there. You
2: know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's been a little more uh, celebrity now uh, in Austin. There's there's various books out that that feature our work. I helped edit one of them. There's some documentaries and, and films in production. Um, so so that's all pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess it's all downhill from here, right? So I peaked.
1: You're done, man. You're done, right? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Time to retire. We actually have some I really hope that...
2: cool other stuff, different viruses people probably haven't heard of. So there's still still a lot more to do.
0: Wow. I hope that those movies and documentaries start with you getting the phone call while shopping for new ski boots. I, I, that's just yeah. the perfect way to start it. Um, it, You know, when we hear all of this, though, Jason, seriously, we would think that, oh, wow, this guy, you know, it's always been smooth sailing. You know, he's just been on this track to create this amazing thing. Um, you've been working, you know, on coronaviruses and this this idea of uh, who knows, maybe we could create a, uh, a vaccine for all of the coronaviruses. You've been working on that for a while. Has it always been smooth sailing? Has it always been received as a, a big priority? Have, have people traditionally cared? And, you know, have people who have funding, have they cared?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it certainly has not always been easy, especially starting out as an independent investigator. Uh, at Dartmouth trying to get grants to do this type of research. Uh, We put in a a grant to the National Institutes of Health in 2017 to try to develop a a universal coronavirus vaccine so that way um, we'd be able to hopefully protect not only against all the known coronaviruses at the time like SARS and MERS, but even future coronaviruses that may emerge like SARS-CoV-2 and uh, that did not receive very good scores, and the reviewer comments uh, you know, indicated that this work was uh, not particularly impactful. Coronavirus outbreaks are regionally contained uh, to where they first emerge. so so that <laughs> was fun.
1: Do you have did that framed? Publish? Do you have that framed somewhere? I tweeted that one.
2: That's one of my, that's one of my first, like tweets. Yeah, just kind of a screenshot of cool. that little classic.
1: Stuff. I love it. Did
0: that? Did that publish at some point? I mean, was it? Was it tough to push that? Through? Oh no! I
2: mean, we never got that funded.
0: Wow! And now okay. everybody's
2: funding uh, Universal Coronavirus Research. And
0: that like, was 2017. I mean, that was right before all of this. Yeah. Um, so you would think that. Uh, has it remained a priority to let's let's do this? Let's get the universal uh, vaccine here for coronaviruses. Do you think that the the pressure will stay up on that? That the funding will stay up on that?
2: <sighs> it Does seem like there's a lot. I mean, so Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation is putting money towards it. Uh, National Institutes of Health, NIAID is now funding uh, organization uh, such as SEPI. So there is there is a lot. Uh, my only concern now is is really whether it's whether it will be needed uh, given how quickly i think in the future mrna vaccines will be developed right so um, we the, the community has have learned a lot just about manufacturing mrna vaccines at scale right so these are these are the first mrna vaccines and so part of those 10 months in early 2020 while doing all the clinical testing was just also Pfizer and Moderna just ramping up production and building these facilities. Um, I think the goals now are to try to go from genome sequence of a virus to manufactured vaccine in a hundred days. It's about three months rather than 10. So maybe in the future, really, uh, you have a coronavirus emerge, Southeast Asia, uh, you you need a couple of months of masking and social distancing and then everybody can can get the vaccine that's tailored specifically for that virus, that might be better than having a universal coronavirus vaccine already available that has some unknown efficacy against this newly emerged virus. Um, generally, as you go for breadth, as you try to make one thing that can recognize multiple, you decrease efficacy because it's gonna be mismatched. Whatever in the vaccine is not gonna be exactly what that virus is.
1: And it's a good point you just made there, too, um, Jason, because science and scientists can't really exhale here and and prop their feet up because you always have to be preparing f- for the next thing. Just like we saw in 2017, the reviewer who, who stated that about your grant uh, as well. Ha- have we gotten lax anywhere else? Um, you know, I, I think th- there's
2: there's now a real a large effort, lots of funding being put towards pandemic preparedness. Um, I would say in the past, uh, some of the funding decisions have been more reactionary. (laughs) So uh, we would have like MERS coronavirus emerge in 2012. And then several years later, money would be given to create a vaccine for that. But that's already years late. And then Ebola in 2014, and then money... Uh, gets taken from MERS and puts with yeah. Ebola and then Zika and, and so it's you're always chasing but like you have to do the work ahead of time. The science just takes forever. It just takes a long time. Uh, things you're constantly failing in the lab and so I think finally now we're at the point where funding agencies realize we need to fund broadly and investigate all 26 viral families. Um, start figuring out how do we make vaccines against prototype. Pathogens in each of those virus families. So that way we're better prepared. In some ways, we were fortunate it was a coronavirus because we we had a lot of information about how to create a coronavirus vaccine. There are other virus families we are not as prepared for because there just hasn't been as much research done on vaccine development for those virus families.
1: Mm. Can, can, uh, you, so can, you, can you imagine that, Jason Wheeler, too? We, we were prepared for this one and it still burned up two and a half, three years. Oh, right. And I can't imagine. Lives. Yes, I can imagine one of the other viral families, you know, unleashing something that we're not prepared for.
0: So other Jason, um, what are y'all working on now? Like, you know, yeah. you're you're trying to stay ahead of the curve and as you said, it's a, it's always a moving target. Yeah. What are you what are you doing in the lab right now? What can you tell us?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we're we're doing some nice work on um, respiratory viruses that are generally not um pandemic, they're, they're occurring. We've all been infected by them. One is human virus. Um And uh, we've stabilized the form of that F protein. Uh, it would probably be uh, grouped as a seasonal respiratory virus. So companies are thinking about maybe one injection in the fall that would immunize you against uh, respiratory syncytial virus, human metanumovirus, coronavirus, and flu virus. Wow! Um, and, and so trying to work on, on some of those. Some of our other targets are more like um, biosafety level four uh, priority pathogens. One we're working on is Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever virus. That it's spread by ticks. It's not likely uh, to cause this type of global pandemic because that's really going to depend more on like a respiratory uh, transmission. Um, but there's a lot of uh, it belongs to a family of, of viruses and a lot of a lot of really lethal of viruses in there where maybe 40% of people that get infected die so trying to create vaccines and antibody therapeutics for that um, we're also expanding into other types of pathogens so instead of viruses looking at bacteria and bacterial pathogens you know we're seeing the rise of antibiotic resistance bacteria uh, there are some strains of gonorrhea that cannot be treated with antibiotics and we need to go back to making vaccines for these. So trying to figure out how can we we apply structure-based vaccine design to bacteria? Then there's also parasites, malaria, uh, trypanosomes and others. So it's kind of just an exciting time to take this concept of using structural information to rationally engineer uh, pathogen proteins and and create vaccines. Uh, So we're doing a lot of work with different agencies, um, we get a lot of uh, funding and research uh, agreements with uh, big pharma. Uh, so, like, I can't mention names, but we're, we're working with several to help develop vaccines uh, that they're interested in as well.
0: How much more likely are people to call you or take your call now versus they were, you know, when they you know, in 2017, let's say? Uh, I guess
2: I guess we receive more calls now than than we did
1: back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They answer the phone when McClellan's on the line here. <laughs> hey, hey, let me ask you this. I'm traveling soon and I'm curious about this. How many shots of the COVID 19 vaccine do you have? Three. Three. Are you getting a fourth?
2: Uh, presumably at, at some point, whenever it's available. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we're in a period where we're going from the pandemic phase to the endemic phase. And mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that the endemic phase is going to be any less severe but uh, as as a population globally we have many more people now that have been vaccinated or infected and so uh, the virus is changing but humans are changing too what we went from a completely immunologically naive population with no no way to protect ourselves to now having a large portion of people vaccinated or infected. So, so that's good. Uh, I think we're waiting to see whether coronavirus will become seasonal like flu and some of the others, or maybe it's more of a winter time. Uh, but I I think yeah, we'll, we'll probably need boosters at some frequency. What you'd love to see is maybe uh, better quantification of an individual's antibody titers, make it a little bit more precise. So that way, if my antibody titers drop below a certain level and now i'm now more at risk you would then get boosted we don't really have that type of testing infrastructure in place now Um, so likely people will just get boosted once a year um, and then the vaccines will need to be reformulated at some point to to match more current uh, variants and i think ultimately you'll start to see combinations of variants so um, the current vaccines are all against the original uh, Wuhan or Washington isolate. Um, companies have made an Omicron specific. Moderna testing a Wuhan plus Omicron. The nice thing about mRNA is you can multiplex. So a single shot could contain mRNAs targeting six, eight different spike proteins to really try to give you broad coverage.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and and you, you probably have to wait for the recommendations to catch up to. Whitely, he is, um, I'm guessing, a, a couple of age groups younger than you. So, yeah, uh, yeah when we y- talk about that. You and shot, I, my friend. Uh, I, I want to ask you this just because you're so plugged into all of this stuff that's going on with viruses and and, and bacteria and resistant bacteria, in particular, these superbugs. Um, what is it that keeps you up at night if you really start thinking about this stuff? And how long do you think it will be before we will see another pandemic? I mean, I know that that's a loaded question, you know, I mean, pandemic question. part. I mean, I, but
2: I, think we, I mean, for coronaviruses, we've been on a, a 10-year clock, right? For SARS in 2002, MERS in 2012, SARS-CoV-2 in 2020. So um, that's reasonable to extrapolate another uh, zoonotic event, uh, spillover into the human population in about 10 years for coronaviruses. Flu, you're always worried about like uh, an avian uh, flu virus. Um, I guess what keeps me up at night mostly is uh, the anti-vax and, and the the misinformation campaign. Um, I think that's actually most scary uh, and deleterious to human health. I think uh, how we, had, we had if we had if we had a similar sentiment um, and vaccine skepticism. Mm, Fifty years ago, we might not have eradicated smallpox or polio, and so it's, it's really unnerving.
1: How do you combat? How do we that? undo that? Yeah. How do you combat yeah. that? Uh, I
2: try. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's a large effort, a, a global effort. Uh, at a personal level, I try to do as many Q and As, podcasts, town halls uh, as I can to just provide knowledge and information. Uh, I think there is also just a percentage of people that are non-receptive to information and, and mm-hmm. will not change their minds, and that's a that's a more difficult
1: group. He's looking as at you, you Willer. Know, He's looking at you. <laughs> as
0: as you know, too, uh, there's been you know uh, quite an attack uh, in in some corners on on uh, higher education um, in in this country um how important is it that we keep funding that too because you know you all were able to take some of this stuff down and look at it through a pretty extraordinary microscope thanks to the investments that had been made here in texas how important is it to keep that going and to keep you know the people who make those decisions in the loop and and cooperating on that
2: yeah it's incredibly important i i think one of the one of the takeaways from the development of these vaccines is just the impact of basic science research. The fact that uh, the discovery of mRNA all those decades ago, people trying to just get mRNA into cells, uh, people working on, on lipids, uh, structures, structural biology, protein engineering. It's its so much research, not necessarily to, to create this vaccine, uh, but it all builds off of each other and, and we learn things. Uh, I'm really fortunate to be in Texas. I feel like there's uh, there's a lot of people in Texas who appreciate science, who fund science. There's a lot of philanthropy. Um, Texans themselves have voted multiple times for uh, funding for science. Uh, there's a large one called SEPRIT, the Cancer mm-hmm. Prevention Research Initiative of Texas. That's been passed twice now, um, multi-billion dollars by taxpayers. Um, some of the secret funds were actually used to build the electron microscopy facility here that recruited me here that allowed us to do this type of research and um, you know technology instrumentation really drives science we we get a new set of instruments we make a new set of discoveries and then we wait for that next big breakthrough in technology and then and vaccine development goes the same way you'll see boluses of, of new vaccines being developed as new technologies come along so i think mRNA technology is going to create a wave of vaccines, and then who knows what the next technology is going to be. But we need funding and, and people to find it.
1: That, that's interesting. You said that about Texas, Jason. How does Texas uh, rank to other states?
2: I don't know. You know, I've never seen a ranking. I just, I guess, just from being here and uh, meeting with donors and others. Uh, the, you know, our lab has received several very generous donations uh, that we put towards the electron microscopes. Uh, I don't think I can say the names, but um, some pretty well-known uh, people. And then things like Ciprit, um the Welch Foundation, just just a lot of great uh, philanthropy. And <gasps> it's it's nice to see Texans um, contribute to science. And
0: well, science you, guys are on, you guys are on the map more than ever there now uh, at the University of Texas, thanks to what you and your team have done. Uh, so I'm sure that the University of Texas is just blown away that they recruited you number one and that they recruited you when they did several years ago, right before all of this happened. Uh, but you know, from uh, somebody who's had uh, three shots in his arm too, uh, you know, I, I guess we should toast you here. We'll we'll raise our our cheap little nothing beers while you have your fancy bourbon there. Uh, and a big thanks to you and your team seriously for what you all have done. It's uh, It's been transformative for this world. That's how we're able to start really getting back to quote unquote normal again.
2: Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite a ride. We still have a ways to go. The virus, the virus is never going away. Um, you know, it's it's in the human population. It's in other populations Right? we know it infects deer and other animals. So it is, it will now be the fifth coronavirus that's that's with us and circulates annually. Um, yeah, so still a ways to go, but I think technologically, we, we know how to create the vaccines, the antibodies. There's more development now in small molecules, Paxlovid and, and others. Um, And so science, yes, I think science has really stepped up um, and we'll just continue to do so in the future.
1: Wow. Congratulations, Jason. It's fantastic what you've done, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Huge,
0: huge congrats to you and the team. And if you ever, um, you know, if your stuff ever falls on deaf ears again there uh, in D.C., uh, there's always Yolitics. Come on and let us know what you're working on. <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. We'll get yes. the word out, man. We'll get uh, the word we
2: out. appreciate that. Yeah, we'll go, go do a, a Kickstarter or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you me. again, Dr. Jason McClellan. We're going to use the doctor there. Thank you, Thank you again.